Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, a pleasant good Tuesday morning inside our Chatterbox Studios right here in Hamilton, OHIO. You're trying that Zoom thing, Casey. It's pretty fancy. It's getting a lot of big compliments when you do that. Well, I've been trying to do small improvements here and there. That just happens. Well, I mean, to be you were hard at work last night. We're going to talk about some of the research you were doing last night for some topics we're going to have covered here tomorrow. I yeah. mean, on your game. Well, it's time to start stepping up our game. <laughs> this ex-professionals operation that we're running here. Paul, good morning. Casey, good morning. You guys doing well? Doing well. Yeah, Tom, doing how well. are you doing? Got a beautiful, beautiful day outside. Lots of sunshine. Going to warm up a little bit. Sat in the freezing cold last night, watched Marymont give Lakota West an absolute tail kicking. School one-tenth the size of Lakota West. Hang with them, boys. Hang with them. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. As you know or may not know, we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. You can find us a number of different ways on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We're also streaming live on Facebook on the Chatterbox Sports page and in podcast form. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Well, the Xavier Musketeers back at it again on the practice court today down at the Cintas Center, getting ready for their biggest test of this NCAA tournament. Kennesaw State and Pitt are one thing. The University of Texas is quite another. Yes, X has wins over the likes of UConn and Creighton, two teams that are still alive in the Sweet 16. And yes, they beat Big East Conference champion Marquette once in three meetings. But they also have losses on neutral courts, which of course this will be in the Sweet 16, to the likes of Gonzaga, who's still alive, Duke, who is not. Texas this year has destroyed Gonzaga. They've destroyed Kansas. They beat Creighton very early in the year. Tip-off is Friday night, 9.45 p. The winner will face either top-seed Houston or fifth-seeded Miami. It is a done deal. We talked about it yesterday in the Big Apple. Rick Patino is a new head coach at St. John's. Patino, who won national championships at Kentucky and Louisville, the only coach, by the way, to have ever done so at two different programs in the history of the NCAA, Signs a six-year deal with the Johnnies. Ed Cooley, official as well. He's a new coach at Georgetown, leaving his hometown in Providence. And boy, he faces a massive rebuilding job. The Hoyas 13-50 and 50 over the last two years under Patrick Ewing. The women's tournament is down to its Sweet 16 as well. And the Ohio State Buckeyes advance with a 71-69 win over North Carolina last night. The Lady Buckeyes, a three seed, will meet number two seed in juggernaut UConn. That will be this Friday at four. Miami of Florida, you actually watched the end of this game. I did. Yeah, I watched this game. Uh, I watched the fourth quarter of this game. It was a great game. Miami-Florida won just before the buzzer, beat Indiana. That was at Assembly Hall. And that is a number nine seed, Miami, beating number one seed in that region, Indiana. In baseball, what a thriller. Japan gets a two-run double in the bottom of the ninth inning to win in walk-off fashion at the World Baseball Classic. So it sets up tonight's showdown for all the marbles, as the cliche goes. Team USA v. Japan. 
Shohei Otani has, so, has said that he might be pitching in that game in relief. Of course, he will be in the starting lineup as an offensive player. The title game is 7 o'clock tonight on FS1. NFL news. The Houston Texans out of nowhere made a huge splash in free agency yesterday, signing former Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz and former Bills running back Devin Singletary to contracts, both on one-year deals. Former league MVP Cam Newton. Did you see this story? He will throw at Auburn's Pro Day. That's his alma mater. Newton sat out all of last season. And he says, quote, ain't no way there's 32 quarterbacks in the NFL better than me. He might be right. Nah, I don't know about that. He's only 34. He's in great shape. He's healthy. I mean, you look at some of the stiffs playing quarterback in the NFL today. I mean, seriously. At the very minimum, I'll tell you right now, at the very minimum, depending on how he looks at that pro day, if I were the Bengals, now if he's expecting to be a starter, that rules him out. But if I'm the Bengals, I like Cam Newton a hell of a lot more than Brandon Allen. (laughs) Not a good locker room guy fit for for our squad. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I've been around Cam Newton a lot. I don't agree with that as long as he's okay being a backup. The danger you get into, and there's no way Cam Newton, um, there's no way in his mind that he believes he would start over Joe Burrow or should start over Joe Burrow. But if all of a sudden something were to happen with Joe Burrow, you mean to tell me, Casey McAllister, you feel more confident winning games with Brandon Allen than you might with Cam Newton? I mean, if Cam Newton was on our roster for the whole spring training and whatnot, but as that stands right now, Brandon Allen knows the system at least. And yes, knows he the does. Guys, and I'd rather take familiarity than uncertainty. But I won't. I won't sit up here and say that Cam Newton wasn't a great player. I mean, if he truly is back to being healthy and can throw, um, I think a team should consider him. You know, like, if things fall through with Aaron Rodgers for the Jets, I mean, I, I wouldn't uh, hesitate to pick up the phone and give him a call and see what he says because that team's ready. It's ready to win now. It's built to win now, in my opinion. But we'll get into that maybe some other time. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, a little bit tomorrow because uh, of all the research you put together overnight. And we're going to be talking with Brian Billick today uh, about what's going on with this whole Lamar Jackson thing. Uh, it's been over a week. Uh, now, they tend to keep everything very close to the vest. So we don't know if there are teams that have actually talked to him about a long-term deal or offering him a contract. Um, and the whole Aaron Rodgers thing with Brian Billick. We have Tracy Jones coming up at 11.30. But we have the Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman first and foremost right out of the gate. Uh, Dad, good morning. Nice to see you. Thank you, Tom. Nice to see you, my boy. And Casey, is Paul there now? I am. I'm here. How are you? Hey, Paul. How are you? Fantastic. Paul's been hobnobbing, Dad, with all the, you know, the highfalutins of the NCAA. You're good friends uh, at the NCAA. 
uh, down there in Greensboro following the Xavier Musketeers. Well, you know, there's some people that like to hobnob with the big wheels of the NCAA. I'm not a big fan of that organization. I don't kiss their ass like a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> Most hypocritical organization on the face of the earth. But if Paul enjoys hobnobbing with people like that, God bless him. <laughs> Marty, I got to say, I hadn't been to the Greensboro Coliseum. And I know, obviously, all the history there with the ACC. It was great walking yeah. back around, like, in the locker room area and, and in the media area and everything. And they had all the newspaper headlines from, you know, all the, all the old days of Duke, North Carolina, and all the signatures on the wall. It was, it was a cool experience. Well, it's, it's a far cry, Paul, from what it was, you know, originally. I mean, they've added a second deck to that thing. It, it doesn't even really resemble what it looked like when it was first built. Um, but there have been some memorable, iconic basketball games played in that facility. Uh, probably none better than NC State in Maryland uh, in a championship game in the early 70s uh, in the NCAA to, for the right to go to the NCAA tournament, probably the, the greatest single all-ACC game ever played. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's a special area down there. There's no question about that. Well, Millie's running around there wanting a little bit of attention, apparently uh, wanting some kind of voice in this discussion. Yeah, well, she's going on the floor. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, I got to ask you, uh, first of all, how your bracket's doing? You know, I mean, you picked a lot of upsets. How many teams do you know, have you looked at it, do you have left in the Sweet 16? Paul and Casey have eight. I have seven. Um, we have uh, – Casey has two Final Four teams left. Paul and I have three left, right? Yeah. How about you? Um. I don't really know because I've given up on the thing. I'm not interested in looking at it anymore. You're talking about upset. I've been upset. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody's better at it, I can tell you that, than my wife. She's on top of it now. She's got all four of her final four teams still alive. Um, she's probably got seven or eight, maybe even more than that as far as in the Sweet 16 is concerned. Casey, I have no idea. Have... I know I've got – I have one Final Four team no longer there, but I've got three still alive. Okay, yep. Casey, you said you had three and not two. No, no, I was saying that. Marty has three. Marty I, has three. I was three. pulling okay. up his old bracket. Okay. Um, so how, many, how, many, how many finals of the Sweet 16 do I have left, Casey, since you know so much? I'm going to look at it right now and, and double okay. check. Okay. Well, he was kind Very enough good. To, to take a picture of your uh, – that you sent us uh, of yes. your bracket. And so right. uh, Casey's going to take a look at that, and he'll chime in here in a second, unless you have it right okay. now, Casey. You trying to add them up? You use your fingers and toes over there? Is that what you're doing? No yeah. math in public on this show? Yes, I'm trying to just double check. Okay. Um, but your impressions of the tournament? I mean, it, it, it's been everything that, that when they coined the term March Madness, it's been everything you could ask for. It's been unlike, I think, any, any uh, NCAA tournament that I can remember. Uh, with all the upsets that have been uh, that have taken place, you always have upsets. You you all you'll never avoid that. But to have as many as we've had, and to have the overall number one seed uh, knocked out of the thing, and um, I I think it once again it points up what everybody has said a million and one times every season at this time of year. Uh, there's nothing like the NCAA tournament. I mean, I work World Series and. Um, I just, I, I don't, I can't compare this event and that includes the blasted Super Bowl and the NBA finals and all the rest of it 
there's nothing of a sustaining nature that can even compare to what goes on in the month of March in college basketball. All right, we're closing down to opening day. Uh, we were ribbing Paul a little bit about hanging out with all the muckety-mucks from the NCAA. You, meanwhile, were hanging out with all the muckety-mucks, if you will, up at the Castellini Estate in uh, Paradise Valley, Arizona. You were out there in Red Spring training. What was the vibe out there like? <laughs> I couldn't oh, resist. I just like, you know that. I couldn't resist. That. I know that it was uh, it was very nice. Um, I saw the team play three times, not nine innings, because I don't have to go to nine innings anymore, and I don't do it. Um, but I saw them play an appreciable number of innings over three games, and um, the weather was great, and uh, the hospitality was as good or better, and uh, it was a nice trip. It really was. We were out there about ten days, and. Uh, the last day was the worst day weather-wise. We left out of there the day before yesterday to go to the airport and fly home. It was uh, 62 degrees and cloudy and windy and just a miserable day. But we had many days in which the temperature was over 80. And uh, that's the kind of baseball weather you look forward to in Arizona this time of year. Well, we're less than, what, uh, nine, ten days away, something like that, from opening day. Um Look, nobody's given the Reds a chance, and I'm not here to say that, that they should be given a chance. But the bottom line is, it's an old cliche, but you, you, know, you never know until you roll the ball out there and see what happens. Uh, Hunter Green looks like he's throwing the ball very well. Nick Lodolo's throwing the ball very well. Graham Ashcraft is last start throwing the ball very well. I don't know where they are on the four and five spots in the rotation, but at least as far as spring training goes, and whatever that counts for, I, I don't know, not much probably, but at least... You've got guys that are giving you the kind of results that you want to see or you're happy to see, right? Well, the big three are. You just mentioned them. And all three of them have pitched well in spring training to, to certainly increase the optimism among Reds fans insofar as those three are concerned. I don't really think that they are as any close to being settled in number four and five in the rotation uh, than they were two weeks ago. Uh, the guys, uh, Brandon Williamson, I think, is probably the young man that is the closest to being tabbed as one of the four, one of those two remaining spots uh, in the rotation. Uh, but other than that, Connor Overton and 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 some of the other, uh, the Sessa kid who was away playing in the World Baseball Classic and just came back and apparently threw the ball very well, uh, either Sunday or yesterday, one of the two days that we have not seen since coming home. Um, but I still think those two spots are unsettled, and I really believe the bullpen right now is nothing to write home about at all. I mean, yeah. that's the one area that I thought uh, would be maybe the most improved on the ball club. And now with the uh, unavailability of uh, T.J. Antone and, uh, and um, Lucas Sims, who apparently is continuing to have back problems, uh, they were the two guys that I was counting on to come back this year and pitch the way they have in the past. And if they had done, been able to do that, and if they are able to do that, whenever it might be, then I think the bullpen will be improved. But as of now, I, I really have uh, great concerns about how that bullpen is going to work out. Have you been watching any of the WBC? And if so, what do you think about it? I just watched it last night. Uh, I watched the game between... Uh, Japan and Mexico, and I thought it was sensational. I mean, it was a great baseball game. And uh, but I, Tom, I got to be honest with you. I don't think the majority of people in this country 
even those who are baseball fans really care about the World Baseball Classic. Um, when you when we paid attention, because when we were in Arizona, the first round of the WBC was being played um, in uh, Chase Field in Phoenix, where the Diamondbacks play. And, you know, they had sellout crowds, but they had sellout crowds when the Latin American countries played and the great majority of people in that ballpark were people pulling for whether it be Mexico or, or the, the Dominican Republic or whoever it might be. Uh, I really don't believe the people in this country care about it one way or the other. I really don't. Well, I mean, you know, look, the the case has been made inaccurately so that, that, that when you've got all these, especially from a pr- pitching perspective, for Mark DeRosa, the, the manager of the American team and his pitching coach, Andy Pettit, that when you've got all these stipulations, and it's understandable while they're there, but it seems like when you have all these different, not with your lineup, I mean, your lineup is a juggernaut no, lineup, but the pitching part of pitching. it with all the things you have to do, I mean, uh, you're really not in it to win it. They're going to play in a title game tonight, and that's great, but you're not all in to win it like some of these other countries are. Like all the rest of the countries are. Right. Not right. some of them. Right. Um, but, it, but it does boil down to pitching. It has nothing to do with the, the starting eight that Mark DeRosa or uh, Benji Gill or any of the other managers put on the field. It all has to do with pitching and the constraints that are uh, – that are leveled uh, against the pitchers to protect them from a, a, a MLB team standpoint. And I, and I understand that, but as long as that type of thing exists, then I don't, I don't think that people really care about uh, whether or not the United States wins that event or not. Now, if you've got, you got your hammers pitching and uh, you know, whoever it might be pitching tonight in the championship game, uh, it sure as heck wouldn't be uh, who Adam Wainwright. Uh, that wouldn't be the case, uh, as opposed to Japan, who is either going to have uh, you uh, Darvish pitching or uh, Shohei Otani. I mean, right. let's compare, you know, compare the situations. Uh, it's understandable uh, maybe why people don't get pumped up, but that's just the way it is. And I think that that feeling is going to exist among people that were born and raised in the United States, as long as the constraints are placed on uh, the U.S. team and those guys that are Major League Baseball players, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. All right. Um, I don't know if you saw the story. I know you're a big fan of The Athletic, the website. Uh, we talk about him frequently here, even though uh, I'm just like everybody else and paying a subscription as much as I talk about him. I probably ought to get it for free. But, you should. Um, your former good friend, Jim Bowden, uh, former general manager of the Cincinnati Reds, he had a long conversation. Perk up now, perk up. He had a long conversation, apparently, with Reds general manager Nick Crawl. And this was certainly a big story yesterday in The Athletic. I know you saw it. Where no, hell Crawl... no, I didn't see it. What's that? Go ahead. I did you... not see that. Okay, well, Nick Crawl apparently shared with Jim Bowden that he wants Joey Votto to finish his career as a Red. That's priority number one. But, he said, if Votto were to come to him and request a trade to Toronto, his hometown team, that he would certainly do everything he could to make that happen. Does that surprise you? Never heard Nick Crawl say that before. And you know Joey Votto 
didn't just all of a sudden open up the newspaper or the internet and read that out there like it, it was the first time. I mean, there had to be at least some conversation with Crawl and Votto to say, hey, look, if I'm asked about this, this is what I'm going to say so you're not surprised or, or, or caught off guard by it. Well, <clears throat> you know, that, that doesn't really surprise me, Tom. I mean, it, it, is it not logical to think uh, whether or not it's real or not? But it's certainly a touch of logic to think that here's the young man who's had an incredible big league baseball career who is a native of Toronto, Canada, or at least the uh, suburb of Toronto, was a Blue Jays fan as a young man, a kid growing up. Uh, it's not illogical to think that that topic would be discussed. Um, you know, whether or not uh, a conversation has taken place between Joey and Nick, and whether or not if it has, that situation will ever come up. At, I, I don't know. Uh, but no, I'm not surprised at all that uh, the possibility that a conversation took place, it would prompt Nick to say what he said to Jim Bowden in that piece in The Athletic. You know, I, I, I just wonder, Dad, at the end of the day, and, and look, I, in no way, shape, or form uh, am I going to sit here and be judge and jury on any of this stuff. Because, look, most players you talk to in a perfect world, they would start their career and end their career with the same team. The two biggest, two of the biggest names in Reds history had a chance to do it in Johnny Bench and Barry Larkin. Joey Votto is in the final year of a contract. Um, Larkin had a chance to play for a World Series champion. Uh, Johnny Bench played on a couple of World Series champions. Joey Votto, unless there's a miracle upon all miracles, uh, will not play for a World Series champion as a Cincinnati Red, at least not if it ends this year. So, you know, I mean, would you be surprised if Votto would all of a sudden say, man, I'm getting near the end. He said he doesn't want to quit playing, but I'm getting near the end here. And I do want to go play for for a contender because I don't think it's going to happen here. I'm sure he's had that chance over the last couple of years, and that has not happened, whether he asked for it or whether the Reds were trying to make a deal and it never happened and we don't know about it. I'm not so sure the club's ever tried to trade you to begin with. Uh, secondly, I don't know that – why would Joey go to him now when he hasn't done it yet? Uh, that's been one of the things that – Quite honestly, I've, I've been a bit critical about because I think when you have had the kind of career that he's had and it, it's been fairly clear uh, that, that, you know, a world championship team is not going to be in his future wearing a Cincinnati Reds uniform, I would have gone to the club before now and said, you know, I, I've, had, I've had a wonderful career here. I've loved playing in this town. I've been accepted unlike anything I could have ever dreamed of in my in my greatest dreams. But at the same time, I want one legitimate shot. Do me a favor if you can and work out a deal and send me to a team that has a chance of going to the World Series. And I really don't care which team it is. Uh, I, I certainly I have the right to veto any trade, which he does in his contract. Um, but I would like to have that happen. And I think that should have happened before now. I don't think Joey has – I, I can't say this with any degree of certainty because we've never talked about it. But I don't know why he would not have done what I just said long before now. And if he's going to do it or if he had have done it, he would have done it before now because, quite honestly, I don't know what his market value is now. You're talking about a guy making $25 million a year. 
with a, a $7 million buyout next year, and if a club t- accepts the option, they pay him $20-some million more, who in the heck's going to take that kind of contract on? I mean, yeah, really. Unless he just knocks the cover off the ball over the first half of the season. That's the only way that's going to happen. It could have happened two years ago when he had a good year. Uh, but I the Reds you know, stumbled into the, What's that? I disagree with what you just said. I don't care if he bats 280 this year and hits 25 home runs and drives in X number of runs. I don't think there's a team out there that's going to take on a $25 million contract in 2024. I simply no, do no, not. No, 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 no. I'm with you on 2024. I'm with you on that one. But I'm saying if he's hitting 280 and he has 15 home runs and he has, you know, 45, 50 runs batted in by the time you hit July and he, and he really looks good at the plate. I mean, you know, take Toronto, just pick them as an example. Uh, you know, right. they've got Guerrero, who's their regular guy, but then they brought in Brandon Belt. Uh, Belt's been a good player for a long time, but if they, all of a sudden you catch lightning in a bottle with Votto. And they just say, hey, look, now instead of $25 million for the rest of this year, it's only costing me uh, $13.5 or $12.5 million. And, you know, Reds will split the buyout for you uh, at the end of the year. Who knows? Or maybe some big money team that can afford to do it, not for 24, but just for the rest of this year if he's playing well. Well, that's a possibility. I, I, I won't argue with that. If we're, if, we're not, if we're not looking down the road at 24, um, then, then I would, I would, uh, I could foresee that happening. I really could. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's interesting to know that up to this point, Votto has not commented. I don't think I haven't no. read the Inquirer this morning, but I don't think he's commented on what Nick said to Jim Bowden yesterday or what appeared yesterday in the Athletic. You would certainly think that people like Trent Rosecrans and 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 uh, uh, Bobby Nightingale and. Uh, and all the rest of those guys would go to Joey and say, you have a comment on what uh, Nick said to Jim Bowden. I'm surprised that's not happened yet. Yeah, I am too. I'm really surprised, especially since that story yeah. came out yesterday. And, and, and I looked in the Enquirer this morning. There was nothing there uh, that I could see, but who knows what happens. All right, all right. anything else on your mind, including uh, it could be any number of topics. Uh, it could be Jim Bowden. It could be Cam Newton. It could be uh, Tom Izzo. <laughs> any any thoughts on anything? Well, I'm a big fan of Tom Izzo. I mean, once again, the Big Ten has proven how blastingly overrated it is as a conference. Uh, but leave it to Tom Izzo to carry the banner. I think he's one of the top five coaches in college basketball, and I'm happy for him. And if somebody would whisper in my ear today that uh, would you be happy if Michigan State won the NCAA championship, I'd say absolutely I would. Yes, I would. All right. Well, before Casey has a question, but before I let you go, what do you think about your guy, uh, Patino? I call that shot. As soon as uh, as soon as uh, St. John's uh, fired Mike Davis, I said, that's where he's going to go. And this was after – uh, conversation that started about him possibly going to uh, where Georgetown. Yep, yep. And then, yeah, and then St. John's, I, I think six year contract. You can book it now. Sometime within the next three years, that team is going to be a serious contender. Yep, no doubt Take about it. it. To the bank. No Take it to doubt, the bank. No but doubt. What about, about your boy, Cal? Wait a minute, time out here now. You know, you're sucking up to Calipari on last, last week, last week's show. What about now? Hey, you know what? How about your guy, Cal? Well, my guy, Cal, you know, look, 
Um, you know that I uh, refrain from beating up on college kids in any form or fashion. But look, when, when, when your best guy goes one for 15 from the floor, I mean, or second best guy, she weighs the yeah, best that's guy. that's right. But when your best, best player on the perimeter goes one for 15, and look, I mean, God bless the kid. He had an off night. I mean, he, he felt terrible. He had a great year. That was a great game. I mean, you know, like Charles Barkley said after the game, it's not like Kentucky played bad. Kentucky played a good game. They turned it over a little more than they should and they normally do, but they played a good game. Kansas State just played better. Well, whatever what what you say is probably true, but let's make sure we, we understand one thing. <laughs> that that poor kid felt bad. That poor kid doesn't feel bad when he puts that cash in his back pocket in the NIL, does he? Well, I don't have any problem. I have no problem now criticizing college athletics. I didn't quit when I worked all the all the college basketball I did and and at all the levels I worked at. I was never critical of a college player because of the fact that he was not being paid. All bets now are off because of the NIL. I had a guy jump my butt on. He said, you know, these are just college kids. I said, no, they're not. Not anymore. The level of playing field now has changed. And you have every right in the world to be critical of a kid who's being paid to play. So I don't feel bad about that poor college kid that went one for 15. Give the money back, son, if you're so embarrassed about your performance. That ain't happening. All right. Well, one thing before I, Casey has a question for you. This has been a narrative that I've heard for a long time. And look, I'm not behind closed doors. This circles back for a second to Votto. Um, yeah. You know, th th there's a narrative out there for fans who love Joey Votto. And this guy's been one of the top three players, five players in the history of the franchise. There's no debate about Correct. it from an offensive standpoint. No. Not even debatable. But there, there's this narrative out there of poor Joey Votto. He's been stuck playing for a bad team. He's been stuck paying for a team that doesn't spend the money to try to win, which over well over half of this 10-year contract, the Reds have spent enough money to win. I'm not defending ownership, but they have spent enough money to win. And he's played on some good teams for the better part of half of this 10-year contract. But there's this narrative out there, and it's on the chat right now, where people say, you know, that the Reds are uh, from the fans are under a lot of pressure to trade Votto to give him a chance to win. I don't buy that narrative one single bit. Do you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, and, and again... They are passionate Joey Votto fans, and I understand that. Uh, you know, uh, fans of Pete Rose are just as passionate today as they were uh, when he was one of the great players in the game. Uh, but I can tell you this, when this team allowed Pete to walk and ultimately get signed by the Philadelphia Phillies in 1978 or 79, the outcry for him, to my way of thinking now, was not nearly as great as it is for those passionate fans who support Joey Votto no matter what happens. No matter how productive, no matter how unproductive he might be, they are steadfast in his corner. And no, I don't think this organization has any obligation at all to deal him or any player for that matter. You're paying them, they're playing to, uh, you're paying them to play well and they're trying to play well, but for them to just arbitrarily say, well, you know what? He's been such a great player and a wonderful citizen for our team in this town. 
over the last however many years. We owe it to him to trade him to a contending club. That's a bunch of crap. Well, the, the part I was talking about, more so than that, I agree with what you just said, but the part I, I think where the narrative is, and for most fans, they feel like the Reds are handcuffing this guy from possibly trading him. Nothing is further from the truth. Votto has enough cachet and enough clout where if he walked in the door, okay, and yes. he would have said any time over the last three years, hey, listen, I, you know, we're not going anywhere. You're paying me a pile of money. I'd like to go somewhere to try and win. And that the Reds have, 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 have said, no, you know what? Get out of here. We're not having this conversation. That's just simply not accurate. It's not, not no. saying that he's ever done that before. But if he wanted to go somewhere else and play for a contender, I would bet the ranch that says he would have had enough clout to walk in and say, can you make this happen for me, please? That's the reason why I don't think he's ever gone in there and asked him that. I don't think that's ever taken place. And so, um, you know, I, I, I agree with everything you said, every single thing you've said. But the fact of the matter is, the only way the team would have taken the bull by the horns was to go on to him or have him come to them and say, hey, what can you do? All I'm asking you is you try to make a deal that would get me to a team that has a chance of being in the postseason and hopefully the World Series. I truly don't believe that kind of conversation has ever taken place. All right, Casey, did you have something to say to Mr. Brenneman? I did. Um, and I'm going to try to make this a simple questions I possibly can. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but it's been a very big debate in this office about how we can improve the World Baseball Classic. Is it the game of baseball that Americans just don't care? Or is it because there's not good enough pitching? Is it because fill in the blank? How do we make it better what are your thoughts on the World Baseball Classic? Can we maybe one day see it as the World Cup where Americans just care to win because we're Americans? Is there any future like that that you can see? I don't – I don't. the way things are right now, uh, Casey, I don't see how that can ever happen. Uh, you take the um, – you take the situation that whereby this – is being played while Major League Baseball is undergoing its spring training. Uh, uh, obviously, we've seen the results of that because they, they put uh, they, they, there's a obvious uh, constraints placed on teams in the WBC as far as pitching and number of innings and, and that type of thing is concerned. You're never going to see, I say I never, I should not say that because I don't, I, I don't believe in the word never, but I don't think you'll ever see Major League Baseball take a break um, in the middle of the season to allow these guys who are by now tuned up to the nth degree. And if they need to go nine innings in a World Baseball Classic game, they can do that. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen. And we already know that it doesn't happen as far as the Summer Olympics uh, every four years in, in, major, in, uh, in uh, the Olympic Games are concerned that they don't let their big league ball players take off to go play for the United States Olympic team. So I, I don't see how anything can happen to enhance uh, the, the appeal uh, on the part of American fans to support their team. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen. I truly do not. And, uh, you know, I don't, you can try and place blame. I don't know. You can place blame on anybody for that. 
Major League Baseball doesn't want to interrupt its season and allow some key players to go off and play for the WBC team representing this country. So uh, do you have an idea about how they can make that happen? I mean, my, my only thought would be to delay the season, um, push it back by two Not weeks. happening. And, yeah, I mean, I just don't know. There's no other real way unless, like you said, they break it up and they've I didn't really even consider of the Olympics. I think that would even be more of a big deal, but they don't even send their guys to that. No. That's right. No, they don't. No. Paul, you have Stop. anything for Mr. Brenneman or no? Uh, no, I, I think we covered everything. On college well, the basketball. only thing that Richard from Indian Hill, you're familiar with Richard from Indian Hill, Dad. Yes. You're shrugging your shoulders already, but I got to tell you, he has a very interesting point. I didn't even think of this when, uh, when I brought up the name Jim Bowden. But uh, Richard from Indian Hill writes, "Can he we lives get Martin income?" Go ahead. Excuse me. I said Richard now lives. No, on a he's fixed not. Income. Nope. He, yeah, he came in the other day in his Maserati out to Buffalo Wild Wings and met us out there with his good friend Tracy Jones. He asked this simple question: Can okay. we get Marty and Jim Bowden on this podcast together at the same time? And let's once and for all peacefully settle any differences from the past, like a, almost like a Camp David Accords. And he suggests that I could play the role of, say, Jimmy Carter in the whole thing. Um, the answer to that question is an absolute unequivocal no. <laughs> I have I have no reason to be a friend of Jim Bowden's. He has no reason to be a friend of mine. I can't believe the guy's changed any from the time in which he was a general manager of this club. Um, and so I, I, it'd be a waste of my time to sit down and try to iron out whatever differences we've had through 25 or 30 years. Uh, no, tell Richard I'm not interested in anything like that. How about Tony LaRussa? Alex wants to know about Tony LaRussa. I think you guys ended up actually patching things up a little bit there near the end, didn't you? No, you think definitely wrong. <laughs> See, absolutely not true. I don't think so. You know, I thought Tony changed a lot. I knew Tony when he was managing the White Sox. Roland Heeman was a general yeah. manager, and, and Tony was – he was a great guy. He really, truly was. And then, for whatever the reason, he started uh, believing in his own publicity, and he became something of a jerk. And uh, I, 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 I could not believe how much he had changed from when he managed the White Sox. And when I saw him uh, in Oakland uh, during the 1990 World Series, I thought he changed a tremendous amount. And uh, so, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have any reason to, to let, sit down and talk to him either. I think. It, I think those are both great ideas. I'm sorry. Maybe you'll change your mind to be a willing participant. I mean, I'd be happy to reach out to Bowden. I'd be happy to uh, reach out to Larusa. Well, I give us. I'll give us some thought. Okay, please do. All right. Well, have a great rest yep. of your day. Great to see you last night at Marymount's big lacrosse win. You were out there yes, in the sir. cold, wearing no socks. Thirty-five Proud degrees. Proud of Luke last night, man. Proud of Luke. Yeah. Gamer. Gamer. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll talk to you. Have a good day. All right, pal. Take care. Right. You guys have a good week. You too, Marty. Thank you. All, all right. right. Thank you. How about that, fellas? I mean, we covered all there with the Hall of Famer. We do. We did. We always you know do. what? I like Richard's idea. 
You know, because, see, it's interesting that my dad has not gotten along well with Larusa or Bowden. I've gotten along beautifully with them. Now, maybe that, that, that is somewhat disparaging or saying something disparaging about me and my character, which is questioned frequently. Um, but I think it would actually be a good thing. I mean, uh, some of that was tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean that. Because all three of those guys, if nothing else, they have one thing in common. They all love baseball. They all love baseball. We got to get Bowden and Tony LaRusse on the show. I think we can make that happen. I always had a good relationship with both of them. All right. Um, we've got Brian Billick coming up at 11. We have a number of topics to get into with him today. Yesterday, the Bengals made Nick Scott their brand new safety available. And we have some of his uh, comments, correct, Casey McAllister? Yeah, I just uh, compiled some of his some of his better moments in his media day presser and thought everyone should take a listen to this. All right, well, let's hear it from Nick Scott, the newest Cincinnati Bengals starting safety. One of the first ones being the need for a safety, right? That's a no-brainer. I uh, wanted to be somewhere where I felt like I was wanted. Another huge factor, um, just coming out here on this visit and getting a chance to meet Coach Lou and Coach Rob and, you know, just talk ball with them. You know, I'm super excited about what those guys can can do, um, their scheme and everything like that and how they see me fitting into it. You know, that being said, they got a great group of DBs here as well, a group that's really tight-knit. Those guys have already got my number and reached out and made me feel welcome. You know, and then the, the other side of that is the family aspect. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so it's not too far from my family. You know, and I think most importantly that this team has a real shot at winning a championship. Yeah, you know, just being a guy that can kind of, you know, move around in the back and, you know, have eyes on everything and, you know, try to just read the quarterback and react and play like that. Um, you know, be a guy that can make calls for the DBs and get everybody in the right positions. Um, so I'm excited. What was it like talking to Louie Narumo when you guys first met? What did you like about him? Uh, I just I just like one, his personality. He's a real cool guy. Um, you know, uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to find a balance of somebody who's, you know, a cool guy, sociable, but also like a, a wizard in terms of football, as, as as I think some people put it. So, you know, he's got a nice balance where he can hold a conversation, doesn't always have to talk ball. But, you know, when he does start talking ball, you really want to listen and hone in because, you know, he's got a lot of experience and he, he clearly knows what he's what he's doing, what he's talking about. I'll say one of the things that just feels great already about this organization is the amount of players that have already reached out to me, um, tracked my number down, um, did all that stuff, reached out, congratulated me, and, you know, expressed their excitement to play ball with me, which, you know, it just makes me feel welcome. It makes me feel comfortable. Um, and it's going to make it easier to really come in and just get to work. I'm going to try to earn it every day, right, um, other than just being a guy who's been in the league for a while. Um, you know, I'm just going to try to go out there and earn my, my players and coaches trust um, and earn their respect. And, you know, if they see me as a as a person that they would like to have to be a leader, then, you know, I'll, I'll gladly fulfill that role. But I just want to fit in um, wherever they see fit, however the coaches see fit and, and the locker room sees fit um, and contribute that way. All right, a couple of thoughts uh, on this young man. First of all, I mean, how incredibly articulate is that guy? You can tell he's a smart kid. Let's start with that. 
Pennsylvania kid, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, went on to Penn State. He talked about going out and proving it every single day. Okay, now you talk about a guy that's had to prove it every single day. He went to this whole high-profile program in Penn State, right? He was a seventh-round draft choice. There were 242 players chosen ahead of Scott in 2019. In 19 and 20, he's a backup guy. 21, he's a backup guy. And then all of a sudden that year, you may remember, Jordan Fuller, okay, once they got to the end of the regular season, two years ago, Fuller gets hurt. So now Scott is asked, beginning with the playoffs, to take over as a starter in the Rams' Super Bowl run. He had an interception in the win over Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. He started in the Super Bowl against the Bengals. Uh, and then last year became a full-time starter for the first time in his fourth year in the league. So this guy understands and knows what it takes to have to earn it. He had a career-high 86 tackles. He had two picks last year, forced a couple of fumbles in 16 starts. He's only 27. So the Bengals feel like they're getting not only a younger player than Von Bell. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks today that Scott is Von Bell, but he's younger. He's more athletic. Uh, his body is not taken the toll, although Bell is only one year older than Scott. Bell's been around forever. He's only 28. Uh, but his body is a younger than 28-year-old Von Bell. That's for sure. So I tell you, that's an impressive young man right there. I would agree with that, Tom. Um, go ahead. Casey, give me the overall read on Nick Scott. I think he's a, like I said before, I think the signing was a very good value signing. I think what he brings to the ta table could be very high. He's a very high ceiling sort of player, right? His relative athletic score, very, very high, and up in the 90 percentile. What does that mean? So he he grades the 90th percent, top 90th percentile, in all athletes ever recorded in the draft or pro day. What? And so does Dax. We they, got Bo Jackson. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, Dion! Doesn't, that doesn't always mean that it translates translates on the field. Okay. I mean, it, a lot of it has to do with the mental part of it as well. And Got it. that goes for a lot of athletes. But as of right now, what they've done is gotten much more athletic in the backfield. Guys that can go high, guys that can play in the box, and they don't have to they don't have to do as much to disguise what the safety's job is on a specific play because of this. And yes, I was on the train for a rap. I thought he filled in Von Bell's role better just from a more, he, he played the box a lot more. He, he played that style more, more but physical style, more physical style. He's bigger. But the fact now that they can play either guy in the box or high or, or however they, they see fit, that is what Lou loves to do. That is something that Lou cherishes in players. You can see throughout the draft how he views, just if you look at the defensive line, he never chooses a guy, or he hasn't as of right now, a guy that's over 315 
or under 280. He picks those guys that are in between that can play on the outside if they want to, or they can play on the inside. Guys that are versatile in this defense are what Lou cherishes. And to me, he had a choice between Taylor Rapp and Nick Scott, and he wanted Nick Scott over Taylor Rapp. So in my mind, great signing because that's the guy that they wanted. They had a choice between the two of them, and they're going in a direction where they can fill either role, which is pretty much what the Bengals need right now, so then they can save up in different areas. Well, uh, we're going to ask Brian Billick um, a number of questions uh, coming up at 11 o'clock, and one of them would be, you know, as a former Super Bowl-winning head coach, you look at the way the Bengals and what they've done so far in this offseason, okay, they've addressed the offensive line. They've done a great job there. They've now addressed the safety situation. Done a, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, it's a big year for Dax Hill. I mean, you drafted this guy, right, for a reason, to be a big-time player and, and a starter. This is his chance. He's not done it so far, but he hasn't been given a legitimate chance so far. We're going to ask him about, you know, all right, what about now? What about now? If, if Brian Billick ran the team, right, um, you got to do something about the tight end spot. Okay, is that in the draft? Or can you find another Hayden Hurst? Like they brought in Moreau the other day, left without a deal. Um, do you, you know, what do you think happens with the running back room? P. Ryan's gone. Mixon more than likely staring down the barrel at a pay cut. And if he doesn't want that, he's gone. Uh, where, do, where can you fill those two spots in particular best in the draft or in free agency? Tight end, running back. Ham and Eggers, take it away before we get to Brian Billick. All right. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Doors out of the way, just in time. Look at that. I'm getting this down to a science. Yes, he is. Do you have something to say before I go to the ads? Um, just a few things that are Bengals related before we get uh, Billick on the show, because I think he's going to also give some insight on what the Bengals have done so far and what they should do next. Okay. Um, at this point in free agency, I cannot justify cutting Joe Mixon anymore. I can't because every guy that I think could have replaced the role of P. Ryan and added a running back that could run and receive the ball at a good enough level, I think has been signed. Or I think they I think they lost their opportunity. And to be quite honest, I don't think it was ever in the Bengals' mind to cut him or they might have asked him to restructure or they might have asked him to um, renegotiate, but there's no way they were ever going to let Joe Mixon walk out those doors, especially after the reports of P. Ryan receiving a very similar deal, um, if not the exact same deal that he got for Denver. Um, I think they're trying to keep it the same. And I don't know... What they do now, if they go for a, a uh, running back in the draft, but at this point, they're going to have to. I don't think there's anyone that can replace that pass blocking back in the free agency right now to a good enough degree that makes sense and for the money. Um, second off, I think now more than ever, Foster Moreau is a target in free agency that I think we need to press 
more on because the deal that Dalton Schultz got for $9 million for one year, if I were Duke Tobin, I would have been all over that. In my opinion, you had $18 million left roughly um, with the available space that you can get with some of the cuts that you can make and the potential to trade Jonah Williams away. One year, $9 million to me, that's nothing. That's, that's great, especially for the value that he brings. And I know tomorrow we were supposed to do a whole section on it, but since he got signed, I'm just going to list some things off really quickly that Bengals fans probably didn't know. He was top five in contested catching. He was top 10 in inline blocking. And those two things together are perfect for this offense. And even if you signed him to a longer deal, Tyler Boyd in the slot, he's gone, he's not, he's not under contract next year. You can easily replace those snaps with Schultz. But now that he's gone, there's no point in really discussing it anymore. Um, I thought the deal that he got was a steal for for the uh, the Texans. Um, we'll see how, how that all plays out for him. Schultz is one of those guys who was nicked up last year. I mean, he missed a couple of games, maybe missed more than two or three. Uh, I understand all those metrics you just talked about. I mean, he's, he's a solid player. Um, but I think you're going to see, and well, it'll be interesting to see what the Texans do with their quarterback situation, that's for sure. Carolina now has their number one pick. Uh, and that's another thing we're going to ask Brian Billick about coming up here shortly. But in one of them, and I'm drawing a blank, I'll ask him the name of the title in case some of you were interested to read it. Uh, You know, this was an offensive-minded guy in Billick. Uh, He was the offensive coordinator in Minnesota when they basically broke every record there was in a 16-game schedule in the history of the league. Yards, points, passing yards. I mean, he had stars everywhere. He had Randy Moss. He had Jake Reed. He had Chris Carter. Uh, He had uh, Robert Smith. A couple of Buckeyes, by the way, there, Smith and Carter. Uh, but, you know, you had Culpepper. I mean, they were, they were virtually unstoppable uh, until they got in the postseason. But point being is, you know, he's always been an offensive guy. He came up under Bill Walsh when he first started with the 49ers. Uh, but he wrote himself, admittedly. He said, look, with all the metrics, all the stuff that's out there when it comes to evaluating a college quarterback, Uh, And drafting that college quarterback in the first round, it is the most inexact science there is out there. Period. He said, and you know, in that chapter, he gets into Achilles Smith. And I've mentioned this before, but at the time when he was still the head coach in Baltimore, he thought Achilles Smith had a legitimate chance to be a great player in the NFL. Well, we know that didn't happen. He came to the Bengals. Uh, he was only a one-year starter at Oregon, and it just never happened. Um, obviously, look no further than Tom Brady. I mean, every team in the NFL had six or seven chances to draft him, yeah. right? Right. Nobody did till New England, down near the end of the draft. Greatest quarterback of all time. A lot of people question Joe Montana coming out. How great was he going to be? 
Um, you look at some of the quote-unquote experts out there. Just in the last three or four years, guys, that think they really know about quarterbacks coming out and how they rank them one to five on any given year. I saw where yesterday Chris Sims, son of Phil Sims, who in his own right was a college quarterback at the University of Texas. He's gone on to do very good things on television in his career at Fox and uh, some other places. But he came out with his listings and he puts them into, I think it's a tier one and a tier two and a tier three and a tier four, right? The tier one guys, he thinks, you know, that, that's the guy, right? And he has C.J. Stroud, the only tier one guy this year. Then he has uh, Bryce Young, and I'm drawing a blank on who, the, but he has, he has three other guys listed well ahead of Will Levis out of Kentucky. Now, Levis is one of those Josh Allen, big, strong, you know, tough guys, allegedly. Um, Richardson, we know his, his body and all the, you know, the stuff that, that doesn't add up to a hill of beans when you're taking a shotgun snap on a third and seven uh, against whoever. Uh, so what? He's a good long jump and good high jump. When's the last time a quarterback had to do anything to long jump and a high jump? I mean, what the hell does that mean? It grades his explosiveness. The high jump? Yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a quarterback do anything in a game that resembled a high jump? I mean, jumping over the, the pile in a red zone. Ask Tyler Huntley about that one. <laughs> Didn't end well for him. <laughs> no, it did not. Um. But I only bring up Christian. I'm not picking on him. He might be turned out to be 100% correct. All I'm saying is, is that when it comes down to this whole thing, and a couple teams have said already publicly they're not scared about the height of Bryce Young. They're not scared about the weight of Bryce Young, although as far as his height and his weight are concerned, he uh, – I can't remember the exact um, stat, but he would be the shortest – and the lightest quarterback to go in the top three, four picks uh, in the history of the NFL. Now, Drew Brees wasn't tall. Drew Brees wasn't heavy. But one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Another guy coming out of Purdue. And then even after he played for San Diego, he gets hurt, shoulder. Final two teams were Miami and New Orleans. It is without a doubt the single greatest free agent signing in the history of the National Football League, and it's not even remotely close. Not even close. I don't care what name you come up with. No signing in the history of the NFL was a better free agent signing than Drew Brees. Period. End. Teams up with Sean Payton, playoffs year after year, won a Super Bowl. He breaks all kinds of records. You know the rest of the story. So we're going to talk about some of this with Brian Billick coming up momentarily. Tracy Jones will uh, join us in the final 30 minutes. Laura does say the high jump might mean something on the Tim Tebow pass. Yeah, the jump pass. So a high jump might come into play there. So I stand corrected. Of course, they ran Tim Tebow out of the, uh, you know, they ran Tim Tebow out of the league. Played the wrong position, Tom. 
Here's all I know. And I've had this debate with many, many people before, including Brian Billick. All I know is, is Tim Tebow won a playoff game and took a team to the playoffs. He beat the Steelers. He did. He did. And nobody else gave him another chance. You can say his mechanics and, you know, Brian and I did a bunch of games where Brian actually did a phenomenal job of breaking down all of his mechanics and all that kind of thing. And it was fascinating. Um, but it is what it is. Is Brian ready to go? Yes, he is. All right, let's go to Brian Billick. Coach, good to have you on this morning. Uh, looks like you're traveling a little bit. Where, where are you coming to yeah, us in, from man. today? I'm in cold, wet California. Came out here to, to, to get some warm weather and was, was betrayed. So it's uh, I am in Southern California a little bit and then on to Arizona. Okay, uh, let, let me ask you this real quick. We were on the quarterback topic, and you wrote in one of the chapters uh, of your book, uh, re refresh me with, with, with that book where you had the chapter on the quarterbacks, the title of that book. Uh, uh, the Q Factor. Yeah, the Q Factor. So, you know, we're sitting here talking about quarterbacks and, and everybody's coming out with their guy who they think the guy should be for Carolina, the first pick in the draft. Right. Uh, what you know, and you're not following it like you used to, but you're still following it, ba based on, you know, a game film, based on combine, based on all these kinds of things. If you're Carolina – and you're picking a quarterback, who's the first one you're taking? Wow. Well, you know, the top four seem to be everybody's focused on on Bryce Young, Stroud, uh, the Levi kid from, from Kentucky, and, of course, uh, Richardson from Florida. And all four, there's no reason why all four shouldn't be good pros. But the other Q factor, and as we know from history, the fact of the matter is half of them are going to fail. Because that's just the way it works. It's it's a 50-50 proposition. There, there's no reasons. They all have the prerequisite abilities. But so did Jamarcus Russell. And so did, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Whether it was David Carr, whether it was, I mean, the list goes on and on. So there's no reason all of them shouldn't be good. It depends on where they go. Do, do, does the organization really commit to uh, their style of play, which we're, we're seeing is so important uh, in terms of a team like Baltimore that committed to the Lamar Jackson style of play. Uh, and, and what their Jalen Hurst finally, when Philadelphia came around, said, OK, this is who we are and this is how we're going to wrap the town around and this is what we're going to do. So, yeah, those, those seem to be the top four guys. I, I wouldn't begin to venture, you know, what order or who's going to make it or who's not going to make it. History tells us that that half of them will and half of them won't. OK, um, you're a head coach. You're assembling a roster. Um, the Bengals have addressed the safety position. They clearly have addressed the offensive line position with Orlando Brown. That was a shocker to everybody around these parts, uh, and I think around the NFL for that matter. So, you know, you're starting to patch things together now with a questionable offensive line. You had a need at safety. You've addressed that. You got former number one pick in Hill. You bring in Nick Scott from the Rams. Okay. As a head coach, which is the easiest thing to replace – and which avenue would you replace it in, either uh, free agency or the running back position? A lot of people think that Mixon, if he won't redo his deal, could be cut loose on June the 1st. Samaje Ryan has already left. Hayden Hurst is gone. They don't have a single tight end on the roster. With those two positions, which one would you, would you look at uh, in, in addressing in free agency, and which one would you look at addressing in the draft? 
Well, it has changed. You know, for a while, the running back position was one that you felt like you could get better value in the second, third, fourth round in running back. You don't have to commit a first-round pick to the running back. Um, although that's changed a little bit. Some of the guys have been taken really, really early. This running back from Texas appears to be very good. Obviously, he's going to go long before Cincinnati, g- given their current state. What are they picking, 28, something like yep, that? Yep, yep. But there's, there's going to be – my guess is that later in the round, say the 28th pick, that you're going to be able to look at the running back position and probably the tight end position as well and and say, okay, the guy we have slotted in the second or third round is likely as good as, as where we have these other guys rated up so we can get more numbers later on. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, that, that depends. You, you look at uh, the t- number one tight end appears to be the Kincaid kid from Utah. I haven't gone into it and seen later on where you could get. But I imagine you could get good value, which is always what you're looking for. I don't know that you have to commit the 28th pick to it. Uh, that you could, the likely the running back or the tight end that you can get. You look at the top tight ends in the league right now, uh, whether it be a Travis Kelsey, uh, whether it be Mark Andrews. Those were second and third round picks. So there is value there for a team like uh, uh, Cincinnati. I always looked at the, you know, well, okay. I don't want to look at the 28th pick as being early round pick. Okay. And looking at that, you look at, and again, I'm throwing out names here that it's way too early to understand, but there's a a lineman from Wisconsin. And when was the last time an offensive lineman from Wisconsin wasn't really good kid to Tipman or something like that. Um, he, he, to me, would be a really good value. Some people have him early in the second round. And maybe at the, at the end of that first round. And I don't think – or you let you, you fall back a little bit and, and get a guy like that early. You pick up an early – again, an early second round pick. So there's a lot of options there. I, I kind of like the position that Cincinnati's in with that 28th pick. All right, um, last two things I want to ask you about. Um, Mike Tannenbaum, former general manager in the NFL with the Jets and with uh, Miami, uh, came out and said that as it pertains to the Aaron Rodgers situation, Rodgers has already gone on record as saying he wants to play for the Jets, but a deal has to be done. He swears up one side and down the other. The Jets hold all the cards on this deal that they have all the leverage, and they don't have to give up a number one pick. Forget two number one picks. You buy that? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I, that, that depends on – I can't imagine that Green Bay isn't going to stick to their guns because there's other players. And, and how much control does Rodgers have to say, okay, this is where I want to go, so you have to make that happen. So uh, there's some intricacies there that I, I, don't, I don't, you know, not privy to them in terms of it's who really has the control. And if Rodgers doesn't, then obviously Green Bay does, and they can demand whatever price they want. Um, if Rodgers does have a way to veto it, then, then yeah, then Green Bay is going to have to, you know, bite its lip and take the best deal that it can to get whatever they can to transition him to wherever it is he wants to go. But as a head coach, uh, and in LaFleur's case here, and you were a former Super Bowl winning head coach, went to the playoffs year after year after year, championship games, et cetera. Can Green Bay bring him back? He's already said he wants to oh. play for another team. Yeah, we've been through this before. They, you know, We were at the end of last year, and then you kind of kiss and make up, and it's fine, and you move forward. As a coach, absolutely. Now, whether can the organization, the team, um, 
the general manager, can you do that? It's awful hard to go back into that locker room, given because you basically said from Roger's standpoint, I don't want to be here. And if circumstances lead to, okay, yeah, uh, you know, I am going to come back here. Yeah, it's okay, but yeah, we'll make it okay. And, and we'll, because the players will look at it and go, hey, I may be in that position later at some point, so I'm fine with it. But does it undermine the real camaraderie of the team and what you need from that quarterback and the relationship from the quarterback to the organization to the head coach? That's not a good thing. It's awful hard to go back into that situation. All right, last thing I want to ask you about, and we ask you about this all the time, uh, we're eight, nine days now into this whole Lamar Jackson thing. Uh, now, you know, I brought up earlier, the Jackson camp keeps to think, uh, keeps things very, um, you know, uh, close to the vest, that kind of thing. Should we be making anything out of the fact that we've not heard of an, a contract offer to Jackson at this point by any other team? Uh, no, because uh, again, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, uh, that the teams, this is a process that should make it available for a player to let somebody else come in and okay, make an offer. And then, and then the Ravens can either match it or, or not. And then, and then get the, the draft choices that come with it. Uh, but that can be a little dicey because the contract that you do, you don't want to just negotiate. And that's what the Ravens are doing right now. Great. We'll let someone else negotiate it. Hey, it's not our fault you can't get this contract. This is what the market is. And so this is what it is. And they don't have to be the bad guy here. Uh, that only kind of goes so far. It still sours the relationship with the player. And I'm hearing, like we say, they, they were disrespected by the offer that there was only $139 million guaranteed compared to the $180 million and some of the other kind, you know. Like we said, that great disrespect when you're yeah. talking hundreds of millions of dollars. But it has gotten to that point. And the fact that um, uh, uncharacteristic of the Ravens, when you see some of the players chirping a little bit, uh, Ozzie Newsom's kind of had to reassert himself uh, out front, even though he's an, an emeritus status there because of uh, DaCosta and some of the players. And then John Hart. Th there's some unusual chatter going on around this that uh, is unique. You know, Ravens usually don't deal with that, which tells me this thing's kind of getting a little sour. Brian, we thank you for getting up and at them bright and early uh, out there in uh, rainy California. And uh, thanks for your time, my friend. Have a great trip to Arizona. Glad to do it. All right, buddy. Brian Billick, kind enough to join us. I, I just can't see, and, and I'm sure I'm going to be wrong on this, but I just can't see um, – Let's start with Aaron Rodgers. I, look, he did say you can kiss and make up. But, but if you're a teammate, okay, and, and, and you play for the Green Bay Packers, the leader of your team, a four-time most valuable player, a Super Bowl champion, and some will say only won one. Well, look, you know, he, he's been pretty doggone good for a long, long time, right? the face of your franchise. They sell more Aaron Rodgers jerseys than anybody around Green Bay. Not even close. Maybe the NFL for that matter. I'll ask each of you. He's already gone on record as saying, I want to play for the New York Jets. Now, if for some reason this deal can't get done, let's start with just as a pure fan. Let me ask you guys this question. Paul, I'll start with you. As a pure fan of the Green Bay Packers, how would you feel about Rodgers coming back to your team? 
Well, I think you could look at it one of two ways. One, you could look at it and say to yourself, he's not going to put his entire intensity into it because he didn't get what he wants. But I think he's too much of a competitor to do that. Now, the flip side of that is he's, not, he's a shell of what he was. Watching him last season, I, I was making the comments to Trace all season and we were talking about it all year. He's missing guys over the middle of the field that are wide open by 10 yards. He's overthrowing guys that are coming across the left hash without a defender five yards from them. And he's overthrowing the ball. He's throwing behind the guys. He's throwing in front of the guys. He is a shell of what he was. So it's not so much the... Uh, it's not so much the fact that he wants to go to New York that I would be annoyed by if I was a Packers fan getting him back. I just think they could probably go get somebody better right now. Hmm. Truthfully. Okay. I, I, I seriously think – I now I don't know if that's – you just trust Jordan Love and his development and you try to go a third straight championship pedigree quarterback from Favre to Rodgers to Love and you just hope that that works out. But if I'm the Packers right now, I – quite honestly, think you could probably do better than Rodgers if you're assuming that he doesn't um, progress from last year or get better. If you think that, if you think that last year was uh, a, an indication of where Rodgers' career is now, then I mean, for lack of a better term, he's done. And why waste the energy and resources on him? So if I'm a fan... Trace would know this entirely better than I would, being a, a diehard Packers fan like he is. But I wouldn't want him, just skill-wise. So compound that with the fact that he already said that he wanted to go to the Jets. See ya. All right. Um, you know, I liken this a little bit to, let's just try to draw an, an analogy here. And, and Casey, I want to stick with this from a fan perspective. And, and tell me if this analogy is off base, because it just popped into my mind. This would be like for a Reds fan to try and bring it a little closer to home, okay? Rodgers has been there for longer than a decade. Joey Votto's been there longer than a decade. If Joey Votto came out during the offseason and he said, you know what, I want to go play for fill in the blank. Take away all the quack stuff, all right, that some are writing here. There's no debate that Rodgers is a different kind of a cat, okay? All right? But you can never question, just like you can never question Votto, being all in to being the ultimate pro and being ready to play. I mean, this guy's a four-time most valuable player. Votto's won it once. But it would be like Votto coming out and saying, you know what, I want out of here. I want out. And all of a sudden, the team, for some reason, they can't make a deal, and now Votto's back. You okay as a Packer fan if, 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 if Rodgers is back um, I, I think if I were in their shoes that I would want to just move on and there's no one better to, to understand this whole thing than our own boss, Trace Fowler, who has been just dying for there to be some resolution to this probably for a year, at least maybe even more than that. Um, all the, the talk of him retiring and, um, the nonsense that oh, – that is pretty much just what it is. It's nonsense that Aaron Rodgers has put the fan base through. I think people are just tired of it. And I think I think they're ready to move on. I think it's been since last year, you know, since they weren't even able to make it to the playoffs. I don't think they see any sort of resolution there to where they're going to be competitive next year. 
pretty much bringing in the exact same roster, maybe even worse. Um, yeah, that's right. That is going to be worse. Um, Sedarius Smith leaving. There's just a lot of a lot of uh, to me bad taste. A lot of bad taste in their mouth. And it reminds me more of the Car Carson Palmer situation, where we paid the guy a lot of money, and he tried to say that we weren't, um, you know, putting pieces around him to make him a Super Bowl-worthy team. So he wiggles his way out, forces, uh, you know, pretty much says that he's going to retire if you don't trade me. We trade him. We get a haul for it, and he always – the part where it got sour was Carson never forgave us. I feel like Aaron won't be like that. But I feel like the situation is very similar where I think fans were ready to just get rid of him at that point. Fans were ready to let go of Carson Palmer. He didn't want to be here. Yep. Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be in, in Green Bay. So why are we holding on to him? Let's just find a way to get him for as much as you possibly can. And then that just brings up, you know, the, the one point is who's got the leverage, right? Which, which team has leverage here i still don't really know that question honestly I, I don't know the answer to that it's a very very peculiar situation that the league has not been in in a, in a while i don't think there's been a situation that i can remember like this you know you bring up an interesting point because i was just going back and looking up some some of the stuff from carson palmer you, you may remember that in uh leading up to the 2011 nfl draft okay marvin lewis said that carson palmer told him that he planned on retiring. In response, the Bengals chose Andy Dalton out of TCU with their second round pick. So now you get to July after Dalton has already been picked. Okay. And there's a press conference. Mike Brown only does this once a year, but, but it's interesting to go back and just read these words and the comments made by Brown as it pertained then to Palmer. And let's place these same words now to Rodgers, okay? This was Mike Brown saying he did not expect Carson Palmer to return to the Bengals in 2011. The organization wished him well and that there were no plans whatsoever to trade him. They were not going to do it. When asked why he would not trade Carson Palmer, here's the quote. And you can fill in Aaron for Carson here, okay? Carson signed a contract. He made a commitment. He gave his word. We relied on his word. We relied on his commitment to this franchise. We expected him to perform here. He's going to walk away from his commitment, and we are not going to reward him for doing so by trading him. Those are pretty interesting words right there. And those were made almost 12 years ago. Man, I think that was their mindset back when. I, I think, I think the Packers organization has definitely had a had a switch of heart, or, or, or change of heart. Change of heart. Yeah. Thank you for. Oh, I mean, me. they, yeah, it all works. But yeah, I mean it. Yeah, that's. I can see where you could draw very similar comparisons. Maybe last year to this conversation to that to those quotes. I think this year it's definitely changed, but. 
the fan perspective, I think they were ready to move on after he decided to retire, in my opinion. The Bengals fans were ready to, to move on. I think it was honestly a, a, uh, a blessing in disguise that he ended up coming out of retirement and being traded because we got a, a nice little haul for that too. You know, it was two first round picks. Well, they got up. Dre. They ended up getting, it wasn't first rounds, but they ended up getting Dre Kirkpatrick. He was a first round pick. And then they got Giovanni Bernard, who I think was a second round pick. They also got Zeitler out of it, right? Or maybe know. that was their initial pick, but either way. No, it wound up being uh, the, the the Bengals got um, got a first-round pick in 2012, which they used on Dre Kirkpatrick and got a conditional second-round pick in 13, uh, which would have been a first-round pick if the Raiders had reached the AFC Championship game in 2011, which they did not once Palmer left to go there. So they end up getting um, uh, Dre Kirkpatrick, and then the second-round pick that it turned out to be was indeed – North Carolina running back Giovanni Bernard. And look, both of those players were excellent players for this franchise for a number of years. I'm surprised Kirkpatrick's not still in the league right now. Gio is. All right, then there's the, um, and we're going to get into a lot of this tomorrow. We're going to start talking about, you know, Brian Billick said he's not surprised. Uh, that we haven't heard anything about Lamar Jackson, that basically the Ravens are letting uh, the rest of the league negotiate his deal for them to not them make them look like the bad guys. Um, but I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and you just heard him say it. All of a sudden, Ozzie, I mean, Ozzie Newsom had pretty much ridden off into the sunset, right? Hall of Famer, one of the top executives in the history of the league, I mean, they moved the franchise from Cleveland where Ozzie Newsom was a legend. And he's got to swallow that whole thing about Modell moving the team to Baltimore. They hire a new coach in Billick. They're, you know, they're doing this whole thing after Marcia Broda was originally there. But, but they, you know, they got to build up a whole new roster and Ozzie assembles the Super Bowl roster, arguably the greatest defense. Bear fans would disagree, but are arguably the greatest defense in the history of uh, the NFL. And they won a Super Bowl with Billick as a head coach. Ozzie Newsom put that team together. Now he rides off in the sunset, kind of. Still around a lot, but not making the decisions, not carrying the, 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 the heavy water like DaCosta is now. Uh, but now Ozzie is getting involved, as Brian just pointed out. You're reading comments from him, and what the hell is he doing in this whole thing, right? Does he even want to be doing anything here? Or are they just putting a, a respected guy for Ravens fans out in front of everybody because people trust Ozzie Newsom. They trust him and they love him. Bashotti's not going to go out there. That's not his style, the owner. And DaCosta, he's a guy that right now, if you're in the Lamar Jackson camp, that looks like the bad guy. So, you know, now Ozzie's rolling in, and we gave you some of the details yesterday about, um, you know, one, we haven't heard of any contract offers which the Ravens, as we mentioned, have a right to match or give up two first-round picks uh, if another team wants to sign him. But as Brian just pointed out, and I've been saying all along, and I, I don't know if you guys agree with me or disagree, tell me this. I just think there's a lot of bad, bad blood here. A lot of bad blood. A lot of bad blood. And I 
I just can't imagine him playing for the Ravens. I just can't. Um, you say that it would be a mistake for him to sit with the tag. I disagree with that, mainly because of two different things here. Le'Veon Bell was a running back, older, an older running back, and it's just never been a very good paid position to begin with. Anyways, Lamar, he is a quarterback, a young quarterback, 25. You're expecting him, if he's your franchise quarterback, to be in the league for at least another 8 to 10 years. And... You know, why risk your health? Because you're also your part of your game is also being somewhat of a running back. But Lamar, as much as people, including myself, have said that they don't trust him to be a quarterback, yep. he is a quarterback, and that's what people should be looking at this as. To me, as I was doing my research the other day. I think there's a lot of teams right now where he could go and win, like win-win right now with some some of these teams. But the I money, don't know what he's ever going to win-win. I don't well, think he I, throws it enough to win-win. Well, I, what I mean is he can go get another MVP sort of level of a season. Like he can – I'm not going to guarantee a Super Bowl run or anything like that, but he could – definitely get you back to the playoffs again. He could definitely get back to MVP form. Do you think the Ravens, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm asking you this question since you brought up win-win. Yeah. Do you think in the, in the closed door offices of Steve Bishotti, the owner of the Ravens, Ozzie Newsom sitting in that room, DaCosta and John Harbaugh. Do you think the words have ever been uttered? Fellas, we're never going to win a Super Bowl with this guy as a quarterback. Ooh, I, I don't know if that's ever been discussed. Probably not. I think they, they all have faith in Lamar, but I think the way that they're going about this is they can win a Super Bowl with Lamar at a certain price. And that, to me, tells me everything that I need to know about that team in particular. And that's that they don't trust him to do it by himself. Whereas I think the Bengals, where I would think maybe with the Chiefs as a good example, gave him this major deal and didn't give him hardly any weapons to work with. They gave him a good offensive line, but they were smart about it, right? Like they got a couple rookies that ended up working out on that offensive line. They've spread out their money in a way that made sense for them to have a Super Bowl team. Bengals maybe are the opposite of that, but I think they would believe the same thing, that Joe Burrow could probably do it by himself, that he can elevate talent around him. Lamar, they probably don't think can elevate talent around him without help. And that's why they haven't signed him to a major deal like what we expect him to to sign. What do you think, Paul? Do you think the Ravens have said quietly and will never, even if Lamar is gone tomorrow with another team, they're never going to say, because what's the point? I mean, you know, why, why beat the guy up on the way out if it turns out to be that way? He's given you a lot in his career. But do you think they've ever had that conversation? That, you know what, fellas, this guy's damn good. He's unique. He's talented. 
He's fun. Uh, seems like a decent dude. Every time he's interviewed, he seems like a pretty good guy. But do you think they've ever said, hey, we're not winning. I mean, look around. Look around. In our division alone, Burrow, right? Deshaun back. AFC, Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, on and on and on and on. Do you think they've ever said, hey, fellas, we're not winning the whole shooting match with this guy as a quarterback? I think it's abundantly clear that they've had that conversation. At some I'm with point you. Because I think this has gotten to a situation. It's an untenable situation now in Baltimore where you have the way that the season ended with Lamar, and now you get to this point where you're, you're doing this song and dance on and on and on and on. He was great. He was playing at an MVP level. But can he go and win you the big one? And that's all that matters. It's all that matters is winning. It's all that matters. And if he can't win you the big one, regardless of being an MVP. Clearly, the other teams, you're spot on before we get to Tracy Jones. I mean, all you have to do is follow the money. Okay? Whether that's, you know, lobbyists, whether that's government, whether that's sports. Follow the money. The Bengals are going to give Burrow a big-time deal. They think he can win the whole thing. The Bills have given Allen a big-time deal. They think he can win the whole thing. The Chiefs have given Mahomes big-money deal, long-term deal, right? He's already won two. Aaron Rodgers, whole nine yards, okay? The Giants believe that Daniel Jones can win the whole thing. Now, they're unique in that they play in the NFC, which is a huge advantage for the Giants. Okay? But they believe this guy can win them a Super Bowl. Follow the money, man. Follow the money. Yep. All right. Speaking of following the money, (laughs) um, I mean, he's all about making the money. It's none other. Look at this. He's back in California mode again. Not that they're exclusively in California, but he's got the In-N-Out Burger t-shirt working there. That says, that reeks of California. Says Cali right here, In-N-Out California. You know, a little bit overrated on the hamburger. I thought we talked about this one time. It's not one of my favorites. It used to be, you know, the girl that owns In-N-Out, she was the first billionaire, for, woman billionaire. Because I think her uncle and her dad got in a, a plane crash and both died and she took over. And, the and that's when she just, started in and out? Yeah. Well, she started, she took over for them and kind of expanded a little bit. But they're not, they just started, I think, in Utah. That well, place I, is packed. I know they're down in Texas. Paul, you were getting ready to comment on in and out Burger. You want to jump in? No. I, well, I was just agreeing. I also think that it's highly overrated. I didn't, yeah. I did not enjoy it. I don't know. They're pretty good, man. They're pretty oh. good. The fries are terrible, Tom. Uh, but I'm talking, you bad. said the burger. You didn't say anything about the fries. The but burger, Tom, they're, the you know what they remind me of? They remind me of, in many ways, Trace, and it's, it's why they're two of the most successful uh, fast food chains out there, okay? Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out. They're clean, they're safe, and they're consistent. They are consistent. An interesting story about Chick-fil-A and Chipotle. 
Both those started up years ago in Southern California. And I hate to talk about SoCal, but you know, everything starts in SoCal, doesn't it, Tom? That in Ohio. Um, and both Chick-fil-A and Chipotle went out of business. Is that hard to believe? It was in Manhattan Beach for Chipotle and on Hawthorne Boulevard. You know where Hawthorne Boulevard is, yep, right? Yep. In the airport? Yep. That Chick-fil-A went under. I think Chick-fil-A is extremely overrated. I don't like Chick-fil-A. But it is clean and it is consistent. I think they're rock solid. I think they're rock solid. Hey, are you watching um are you watching the World Baseball Classic? You know, I'm not. I'm checking the ha highlights. That Trey Turner Grand Slam was rather exciting. Yep. Isn't it funny how these ball players get more excited about being in this type of competition than they do playing for their team during the season? It's like an all-star game. You know, you watch them and everybody's giving them a high five. Why don't they carry that over to their team and have the same enthusiasm? Right? I mean, it's kind of ref refreshing because it brings a lot of energy because everybody's into it. All the countries are into it. But the United States got a good team. Well, they got a good offensive team, and they're patching it together with, I'm not going to call them journeyman guys, because Adam Wainwright, you know, you can make an argument that guy should be in the Hall of Fame, and Lance Lynn is still yeah. a very good pitcher, but they haven't been able to get, you know, the Scherzers and the Verlanders and guys like that where some of the other countries can't. Are you going to watch tonight? Uh, Japan wins it in the ninth inning, walk-off last night against Mexico. There's talk about Shohei Otani. You know he's going to be in the lineup as a hitter. But there's talk about him coming out of the bullpen tonight if they need him. Now, will you watch the game, America versus you know, the Japanese tonight? Yeah, I will watch the game. When it's not crunching time, I'm watching sports. It's kind of like tweeting, right? I, I pretend I don't really know anything. But when it comes down to big time, I'll watch the game. So I'm kind of a front runner in that respect. But Otani, you know, your dad and I talked about Otani when he was on 60 Minutes probably about eight, maybe 10 years ago on, on Jones and Brenneman on baseball. And we talked about how good he would be coming over to the United States. Could he do, could he both pitch and hit? And I think both of us agreed he's going to have to choose one or the other. He can't do both in the big leagues. And I'll be darned, that son of a gun could do both and does it outstanding, outstanding player. Yeah, and you know what, it, 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 unless he came to me, uh, now he's in the final year of his deal with the Angels, and there's a lot of talk he's going to be the highest-paid player. And look, at the end of the day, there is no doubt he should be the highest-paid player in Major League Baseball because he's so. putting up the offensive numbers as an MVP. His pitching numbers are off the charts. He's the only cap that's doing them both regularly since Babe Ruth. That's been a while. So, um, you know, unless he came to me and said, hey, look, I really got to focus on one or the other, as long as he keeps enjoying it and the results are what they are, I mean, keep on keeping on, right? That's one of your favorite old California terms, keep on keeping well, on. He's, he's just consistent. I mean, he's consistent as a pitcher and a hitter. You mentioned Babe Ruth, and it's funny you should say that because it's in my notes to talk about Babe Ruth. Uh, did anyone see the video of Babe taking some swings in a real game? You know, it's real grainy. Yeah. And he strikes out on three pitches. I have watched that guy swing the bat. And Babe's, Babe is probably my favorite baseball player of all time. If I could sit down and have a beer, it would be Babe Ruth. I, I really like him. Yeah. Because right? he, he hit I hear more you. home runs than many teams did, right? 
I mean, it wasn't even close. But Tom, I've got to tell you, he's got a weak stroke. I swear to God, I, he, you know, he spin to win, he corkscrews, doesn't foul a pitch off, and he walks his ass back to the dugout. And I'm thinking, this was the greatest player of his time, of his era. I'm thinking, is that really a video of Babe Ruth? I mean, it's kind of like it's. there's a lot of fake news out there, right? We didn't really land on the moon. Everybody knows that, right? That's fake news. <laughs> um, so maybe this video isn't true because I'm looking at his swing and there's no way he could hit the hit amount of home runs that he hit. It's just like Neil Armstrong. How do we get that stupid camera back in 1969, just perfect as he walked off Apollo, whatever it was? Does anyone really believe that? That's fake news, people. We did not land on the moon. Casey, you have any thoughts on that? No, I, I, I haven't thought that. <laughs> okay, Casey, I got something for you. Buddy. Oh, boy, here uh, we go. Here we go. And, and it's not a big request. It's not a big deal. But I think it's the least you could do for me going to your wedding, right? You're only going to have one celebrity there at the wedding, right? That's me. That so what I was Martin, thinking, but... like I said, one celebrity. I mean, a guy that actually played the game. So what I'm asking for, if it's too much trouble, just, you know, during dinner or something, I'm going to bring my chair and my table and I'm going to sign autographs only for like a half hour or something. People seem to enjoy that when I do that occasionally. Uh, yeah. They didn't like it so much when I brought the chair and table and signed autographs at a funeral one time. That didn't go over real well. But I think at a wedding, I can do that. Cases, do you think your fiance would be all right with that? Yeah, I mean... I think we could probably work some deal out, like maybe 50% of the proceeds go to us or something like that. Make a little what were you thinking, Tracer? Business deal here. I was thinking a good deal, uh, $5 uh, for two autographs, that'd be 15 So yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that. And maybe I will donate some money to a charity. I'm thinking maybe 95% goes to me, maybe 5% to the charity. <laughs> Paul, do you have an opinion on that? Well, no, I just, again, go back to the fact that we all know that it's it's really, it's your day, Tracy, that you're coming in. It's, Casey's kind of just, it's like a, it's like a co-celebration, yeah. right? Yeah, it's more like we're hosting you there. We're both celebrating. It's almost right. like a roast for Tracy Jones, but there just <laughs> happens to be a wedding ceremony taking place. Is that kind yes. of what you're thinking here? Yeah, that we could do something like that. Yeah. A well, celebration, and, and also, not a rose, just celebration of yeah, Tracy yeah, Jones. A celebration yeah. of his career and his life. Yeah, but he's not dead. He's but I'll bring, I'll bring plenty of cards and just sit there and sign only for a half an hour. We don't want to make it an all night thing. But just well, you, if I could pick up some, you know, kind of a, a fee for attending the wedding, I think is only fair. And by <laughs> the way, guys, want to apologize last uh, Thursday at uh, Wings and Rings. Want to apologize. What happened? What all went down? I want to apologize to you, Tom. About uh, to, what? To Chatterbox. Well, I sent my body double, and he acted up. I don't know. Did you guys know that was a body double? Man. Boy, I thought it was you. But uh, Please, no. fill us in. I, I, I think all of us are somewhat surprised. No, Just as surprised as your body double being there to begin with. Yeah, I had other obligations, and I, I couldn't make it, so I sent him. 
and he looks just like me. He's built like me, but his behavior, I mean, here's the difference. I drink vodka, he drinks tequila. I guess he was grabbing the waitress's butts. Did you get, did you get? Well, that? I don't know about Almost. that. The, the, the Golden Girls were complaining that were uh, in attendance at a regular viewers of the program. Uh, they were complaining a little bit, but that was a little bit older crowd. I don't know about the, the servers there uh, and what happened there. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, that just really wasn't a good situation. And I apologize, Tom. And, and Casey, I will be going to your wedding. I will. I'll make sure I don't sell my body double because we don't want that guy. He's really a, a handful. Are you, you know, uh, Jordan points out, uh, Jordan was there that day, Trace, and said he did everything he could not to make eye contact, as you had instructed, that if you came out, he said right. he did everything he could not to make eye contact with you. You know, you even your body double, forgive me, uh, actually brought a few friends along. It was nice to see, you know, Jim and, uh, and uh, Richard from Indian Hill and, and, and he, you know, Richard from Indian Hill, I don't know if you saw the segment with my dad today. Okay. And there no, was a big story yesterday that Jim Bowden, the former man, general manager of the Reds, um, uh, had a conversation with Nick Crawl, and that Jim Bowden said Crawl told him that he would prefer for Joey Votto to finish his career in this the final year of his 10-year contract as a Red. But that Ivato came to him and asked him for a trade to the Toronto Blue Jays, Joey's hometown, that Nick would do everything he could to make that happen. Um, does that surprise you at all? Yeah, it does, because haven't we talked about this before? I mean, just in general, in Cincinnati, there's no, there's no market for Joey Votto, not at $25 million. So, I mean, they've, I, I think they've tried to move Joey Votto in the past, and they weren't able to do that. So, I mean, that's a nice gesture by the Reds. But I don't think there's going to be a taker. And Joey Votto, he's, he's still banged up a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's coming along. I mean, whether he'll be ready or not for opening day, I don't think anybody knows for sure. Yeah, but at least he's playing in games. And you got, what, uh, eight, nine more games left. Yeah. I, you know, Votto to me, and we've talked about this as well, he's the greatest Reds hitter of all time. And if you, if you don't look at his numbers, I'm talking about everything. He was incredible. Had some injuries, but he's a very, very good ball player. Injuries. And speaking of injuries, you know a guy we don't bring I'm up? I'm going to correct you real quick on this because I agree with you when you said this before. And the more I, I, I went back and looked at it, I think Joey Votto is the best guy in the history of the franchise getting on base. And that can't even be debated. There is no right. way at the end of the day, if you had to have a base hit, that you would pick Votto over Pete Rose. A base hit. What about a base hit with a runner on second base? Well, I'm not you talking know, about Tom that. I'm just saying if you had to bet money, and I'm not a gambler, Casey is, Paul is, uh, you know, everybody around here has their vices. <laughs> Lord knows I have more than a couple. All right. But if I had, if I, if I were placed, okay, and look. I don't want to hear about left-handed batter against left-handed pitcher. I don't want to hear any of that. Pete Rose was a switch hitter, okay? If I had to bet big money on not drawing a walk, Votto's a great hitter. I'm not disagreeing with that. But when people say the best hitter in the history of the franchise, I'm not buying it. It's Rose. 
Tom, you're talking about a singles hitter. You're not talking about a guy. I don't care. I'm talking about a base hit. You said Votto has more power than Rose. Votto doesn't have as many doubles as Rose. So it's not just singles. I'm not even sure that Votto has as many runs batted in as Rose. Now, Rose has played a lot longer than Votto, so that's an unfair comparison. But I'm just saying, I'm getting off topic now. I'm just saying, I agreed with you initially when you made that comment a few weeks back. I think if I had to bet a lot of money on one guy getting on base, I would bet on Votto. If I had to bet on one guy getting me just a base hit, I'm betting on Rose. Okay. You make a great point. Pete Rose is a better leadoff hitter than Joey Votto. Okay, Tom, let's say you're general manager, okay? And for the next 10 years, you have to make a decision on your first baseman. Is it Joey Votto for those 10 years, peak Joey Votto, or peak Pete Rose for 10 years? Who do you take? You know, that's a very good question. I think it's there a great are, question. I think it's a great question. I think that there clearly are, uh, there are strengths and weaknesses to each player's game. Rose is a much more versatile player. So you asked me to sign him as a yes. first baseman. If we're talking about both of them in their 20s, okay, Rose is a much more versatile player. No debate about it. In his career, he played second. He played third. He played left. He played first. He can play anywhere. Okay? Yeah. All right. Big deal. It is a a really big deal. It's a really big deal, especially as you're talking about about assembling a team. Because if all of a sudden you've got some phenom, let's use this Incarcion Strand kid, right, who's not going to cover off the ball in Arizona. Yeah. Apparently he can't play third base well enough to play him down there. He'd be with a big league club maybe right now. Okay? They think his long-term position is at first base. Votto couldn't play anywhere else but first base. So yeah, that's true. if all of a sudden I got a kid coming up, right, and, and I can play him at first base because my first baseman can move, well, then that's a big deal for assembling my team over the next 10 years, right? That's not – yeah, it, that's a really good point because what I think is besides him just getting all those hits every single year, the fact that he was a left fielder and moved to third base because you had to put George Foster in left – and he played third base. It's like, oh, it's just, this is not not whole baseball, people. Third base is a tough position. And Pete yeah, yeah, I'll play third base. Yeah, not a problem. That's a problem with a lot of guys. You know, when they talked about moving Jeter to third base or Barry Larkin to second base, both those guys said, I'm not moving. And they didn't move. You know, they wanted to move. Yankees wanted to move Jeter. Reds wanted to move Larkin. And he said no. So for Pete to do that, I think says a lot about Pete, but to play right field, left field, second base, I mean, everything but shortstop, catch, he'd be a good catcher, shortstop and center field. I mean, that's the thing that people do not talk about Pete enough about. Well, so then, you know, back to you asking the question about which guy am I going to take? I mean, if you're talking about a guy who's just going to be planted in one position and that's where he is forever, he's going to put up great numbers. The other thing I look about, Tracy, and it's not a knock on anybody because stuff happens, and that's injuries. Rose played every day for 20 years. I mean, I know when I'm signing him, and you don't know when you sign any player, but, you know, the old adage about uh, the best part of ability is availability, right? 
Well, 90% of success is just showing up, right? And, Who would you and sign? There, I mean, Who would you sign? You ask me the question. Let me turn it around and ask you. For 10 years, I signed Joey Votto. I do. Okay. It's not, not taking anything away from Pete. Well, what are the JOs, the Hammond Eggers? What do they think? Do they have an opinion or they got their mouth <laughs> shut? Well, they're just over there both slouching. I think they both didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> Paul's been watching uh, college basketball morning, noon, and night. I don't know what Casey's been doing morning, noon, and night. I mean, oh, he is still engaged. He's not married oh. yet. So what he's doing yes. morning, noon, and night will be very different now than it is starting in June. He was so funny. That's exactly right. Boy, you know, when my I was dating, boy, it was on, right? You get married, you like win the prize, and you just kind of phone it in, don't you, Tom? Shut her down. That's my life. It's just, it's just like TSA at Newark Airport on, you know, on, 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 on Thanksgiving weekend. Busiest yeah. travel weekend of the year. TSA in Newark, 5 o'clock on a Sunday. Shut her down. Shut her down. down. What? What do you think you're doing, Trace? All right. Right. Uh, Casey, you want to answer that question? Votto or Rose for 10 years? Now, you're not a big baseball guy, as Jerry Naren used to say. You're trying becoming a baseball guy. Yeah. Um, if I were to choose between the two, I mean, I'm just going to uh, quote Nick Kirby here. He says that the difference between their average is .006 between Rose and Votto. Nice, Kirby. Yep. Nice, um, Kirby. I uh, I don't know if it really matters except for the leadership. And I would think that Rose was probably a better leader than Votto was. Am I wrong in saying that? Or? Oh, jeez. You know, Casey, I'm going to say something else, too, to you. And you really need to write this down. Brevity is the soul of wit. So you Whoa. need to keep your Whoa. answers short and to the point, right? That is, don't throw that, that crap out about leadership. That is so overrated. You know what leadership is? A guy that plays every day. That's your argument with Pete. I mean, Pete, Pete played every day and put up numbers. But both those guys... You look at their numbers, pretty strong. I, I think Joey Votto overall has stronger numbers. Uh, Paul, you want to weigh in on this? I mean, yeah. If you're giving please, me a, if you're giving me a decision between the two, I'm going to take Joey Votto. If you're giving me yeah, a decision, yeah, that'll boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking Joey. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I know Pete racked up the the hits and everything, but I'm taking Joey as a better overall hitter, more valuable okay. overall hitter. That's what I'll go with. Okay. okay. Um, uh, this is 22, back it up 10, let's go to 12. Okay, okay. If you talk about availability and you can't put up numbers unless you're on the field, okay? Since Vado signed the contract, and again, I'm not knocking anybody. People get hurt. And this most recent injury for Vado's was very serious and he played through it for Lord knows how long, okay? Yeah. But since he signed the deal, okay? 111 games, then he played 162. 62 games, then he played 158, 158, 162, 145, 142. Okay. Two years ago, he plays 129. Okay, you got to take out the the um, you got to take out the COVID year, 
And then last year he gets hurt, he plays 91. So since he signed that contract, you've had one, two, three, four years where he played fewer than 130 games. Four of the 10 played fewer than 130. Rose, let's just go back to, say, his fifth year once he became a regular player. Starting in 69. Okay. 156, 159, 160. Led the league, 154, 160, 163 led the league, 162 led the league, 162 led the league, 162 led the league, 159, 163, 162. He never missed a game. Okay. Okay, so I'm just saying, if you're going to pick one guy or the other, I get all the, all the stuff with Votto. The on-base percentage, Kirby points out the batting average, all that kind of stuff is fine. Dig into all the numbers you want. One guy played every day. He never okay, think, got hurt. Uh, he never got hurt. That That's right. But, but your point, you see, you get off topic here, Tom. You make a good point, and then you start to just get too carried away. The point is... Too it's carried away? I just yes. gave numbers for you. The guy yeah. never played in less than 158 games over 12 years. Votto played in every game twice, which in this day and age is unheard of. I'll grant you that. But, I mean, come on. Come on. So How far, can you produce if you're not on the field? So far, Tom, uh, Casey said Votto. Paul, who knows a lot about a lot of things, he said Votto. <laughs> and then you have the baseball expert, that's Tracy Jones, he says Votto. So it's three against one, Tom. And I'd like to bring your dad into this conversation as well. Because you know he'd be all over Votto. Well, maybe not. Well, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, a lot of a lot of the fans on our thing, uh, on our chat, you know, they're they're going back and forth just like we are a little bit. Um, okay, all right. I guess I'm getting too carried away, according to AJ and Tracy Jones. Um, anything off topic on your mind these days? You know what? And this was a topic that we brought up a few weeks ago. Did you see where Trevor Bauer signed? with a Japanese team, I think for $10 million. This is a crazy story that no one's talking about. One of the best pitchers in all of baseball can't get a job with the other 30 teams, I think is a crying shame. I think it's an outrage. He was not convicted of a crime, right? Compare that to Deshaun Watson and what he did to those women. Right, and he's quarterback in an NFL team. Well, you I know, just think by, what by, happened. By, I mean, but if you're gonna, if you want to go technically speaking, you are 100 percent on Bauer. In fact, his case did not even go to trial; they threw it out no. before he ever went there, and right. and he settled and whatever he did. And Deshaun Watson ultimately settled. He was not charged with a crime. Uh, he was suspended for, um, you know, he missed the first what eight games of this season, if I'm not mistaken. But that's yeah. half of an NFL season. Trevor Bauer's original, original suspension 
would have covered basically two full seasons of Major League Baseball had a judge not stepped in and cut it way down, which made him a free agent. And you're right. No team will sign him. Here, here's my point in bringing this up. Isn't it amazing in society nowadays that some people are giving a, given a pass, right? They can say whatever they want. They can do whatever they want and don't have really the same repercussions as other people. Trevor Bauer, a Tom Brenneman, a three-letter word. I, I, you, I, no, I'm serious, Tom. Is, is, that's an outrage, right? You, you've, you've paid the price. Let's, let's move it along a little bit, right? Some people have done worse than you, Tom, right? They, they, didn't have, you know, they weren't blackballed. So I, I just I find it unfair in Tre Trevor Bauer, like I find it unfair with you, Tom. Well, you know, uh, the Trevor Bauer thing is, I, I think, Tracy, what's going to be interesting here, and look, I, I, I'm not smart enough to follow and know if there's some kind of stipulation. I have to believe Bauer's a smart enough guy, but maybe he didn't have the leverage where if, you know, he, he said to the team in Japan, hey, look, I'll sign, I'll come over there, but if a Major League Baseball team comes along and wants to sign me, you have to give me the right to at least negotiate and see if I can't go do it. I would not be surprised if a major league team, you get halfway through this season, Bauer's over yeah. there pitching. Uh, he hadn't pitched in two years. Uh, he, he's over there pitching, and he's doing great. Somebody's going to scoop him up, though, don't you think? I would think so. Tom, let me throw this at you if you're the general manager. Now, you already botched up the Pete Rose Votto thing. Let's not make another mistake here. Would you have signed uh, Trevor Bauer to start the season? Would you have yes. signed him and, and yep. Manhattan? Yeah, I would have yep. too. I would have. Yeah. Without I a doubt, right? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I think you have to go to your fan base and you have to be honest with them. And Bauer is, is savvy enough as a guy in a press conference where he can hold his own. Okay? Right. It's just like me. People want to interview me and talk to me about it. it it's all out there right on the line. What I said, what happened, all that kind of stuff. I'm happy to talk about it. Okay. Yes. And I think Bauer would be able to handle that situation and, and, and he would do the best he could. The franchise would do the best they could to lay it out there. Uh, they could have set up some kind of uh, charitable endeavor, whether it's to this group, uh, battered women, whether it's, to, right. you know, whatever it might be um, where you could have. And look, some would say that's a PR stunt. You know what? Sometimes you have to do some things like that to, 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 maybe win over or, or massage some of your fan base, depending on certain situations. I would have thought long and hard about it. Would you have signed a Paul, yeah. yay or nay? I think at this point, probably. I, 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 I honestly, though, like you said, I mean, he, he seems like a guy that stayed in good enough shape. Um, he doesn't seem like somebody that would just take the time off. I, to be completely transparent, really haven't followed – I've never really liked the guy. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I don't like, like him either. Like I loved, I loved his vlogs during COVID when he did those behind the scenes vlogs and took everybody through the COVID season. I watched every one of those. I thought that was incredible content. I thought it was really interesting how all the players were handling like the COVID tests and all that stuff. And especially too, because that was his Cy Young year with the Reds. So it was a little more personal here and knowing when he would do vlogs around the city and, and stuff like that. Like, like it was easier to connect with it because it was Cincinnati. But I, I don't know. I, uh, I kind of go back and forth on him just as a, in general and, and an opinion of it. If he was good enough to pitch, though, and, and he's been cleared and the teams have done their due diligence on him, you can go out and sign him. I mean, he won a Cy Young three years ago. So ACA <laughs> or nay, you sign him or not? I mean, I would have. Uh-oh. I think Gravity. I would have signed him, but I, 
I understand why the Reds didn't. Why would they want another PR headache? No, we're just saying any 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 team. Any team. Oh, like well, does he deserve I to mean, be back in the game, basically? Is what yeah. Yes. A second chance. I have How about a say, second though, Tracy, I really believe Paul, uh, and, and then I'm going to let you go. I, I think Paul said something that, it, listen, you know as well as I know, okay? Because of restrictions that, say, a government investigation is able to do on somebody or the FBI or the police, okay? There are laws that govern some of the things that they can do as far as an investigation is concerned. The private investigators at the NFL and Major League Baseball go out and hire, they're not limited to that, th those same kinds of right. things. And they, they oftentimes are able to do an even better job in sometimes in law enforcement. I got to believe there's something out there that there had to be a couple of teams that went out there and did their quote-unquote due diligence on Bauer that says to them, ooh, this might not quite be over yet. Yeah. See, all, all I hear about is the rough sex. You know, the girl wanted rough sex. Right? Yeah. I don't know what that all entails. I mean, I know what it entails with today, handcuffs, blindfold, things like that. But I don't know what Trevor Bauer meant or the girl meant by that. Do you? How about Casey? Casey, you know anything about that rough sex, Paul? No, I do not. Okay. That's where Tom? we're going to let Tracy go now at this point in time. Tracy? <laughs> We will see you on Thursday. Thank you for your time and all your insight. Per usual, young man, have a great rest right. of your day. I'll see you, boys. Take the it tracer. easy. Tracer, that's 30 see minutes you, of TV, boys. See tracer. You. See you, Tracy. All right, before we go, do we have a uh, UDF cherry on top? Of Tom, we, we do, and this one is special. It is near and dear to our hearts. It is? It is very special. Yes, it is. I think everyone's going to get a kick out of this. So we have come to know this uh, very closely and intimately. This is Zoltan Mesko. This is oh. the man who held the ball in the Michigan game. And guess what company he works for, Tom? Snowflake. Snowflake. <laughs> now you're talking about Mesko. When we run that video clip before some of the shows yep. of when I was calling the Appalachian State upset of Michigan yep. and that final try by Michigan. To win the game on a field goal, it's out of the hold of Mesco. That is Sultan Mesco. That is him. Was he not the punter of that team, too? Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Yeah. yeah I, so I he's in Ohio. He is, yeah. We should get him on the show. You know what? I'd love to get him on the show. Let's Zoltan get him on the show. Mesco, a real Michigan man. He probably has no idea that our little fan base. God, I mean, every <laughs> single day. I don't know. It, it, I mean, it obviously doesn't come through on the air because – the sound from the intro is overtaking our microphones, but every single day when that app state one runs, we're all sitting in here going out of the hole of Mesco. <laughs> we <laughs> love exactly it. Exactly right. It's a running joke here. He was an uh, outstanding punter with yeah. Zoltan Mesco. He's in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. You know, all of you people who beat down Cleveland all the time, there's another example. And I'm not one of those people. There's another example on one of the most spectacularly beautiful suburbs in the United States of America. Chagrin Falls. Chagrin Falls, Ohio. That is a big league neighborhood. Uh, one other thing, since we're not doing not too picky today, we got to run out to Miami to do a baseball game this afternoon. But uh, the USA is minus 134 on Betfred for the World Baseball Classic tonight. They are plus 113. Uh, on the run line at minus one and a half. So a couple of things to look at. I mean, this could end up being one of the, one of, if not the most watched baseball games of all time. Did you see that? We'll see. See that clip? We'll see. It'll be on Fox. Is that you know, right? FS1. 
On FS1. 7P. Yeah. All right, boys. Have a great day, Case, Paul. Until tomorrow. To all of you, we thank you for joining us on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day.